What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just get it started. I'm Chase Weninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everybody's enjoying their summer. And Lee, we've got a big wig with us today. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Ben Robinson. <laughs> You're the director of wildlife, right? I'm director of wildlife. Happy to be here, guys. Tell Thanks us tell me. us what that means, director of wildlife. Well, the director of wildlife, um, I cover a lot of ground. Yeah, you know, I cover I a lot of ground. So. And uh, I think everybody is somewhat familiar with how we work and how we're structured here with the agency. You know, we have multiple divisions. We have wildlife, we have fisheries, we have law enforcement, information and education, and, and so on. Um, so I'm over wildlife specifically. Mm-hmm. And within that, um, anything that basically you hunt, um, and all the species, the terrestrial species that we don't hunt, uh, I'm over. So, so if it's on land, basically if it's or on or land, in the air, that's true. Or, or in the air. air, you know, we that covers a lot: elk, deer, bear, turkey, um, all of our non-game species. You know, I kind of feel like the higher up you go <clears throat> in fish and wildlife, like I mean, it's it's nice, but at the same time, your job gets a little less fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, every Absolutely. every step up you take, because when you're really in the field level, I mean, you're out there, you're interacting with people or with animals and you're you're getting stuff done in the field that's probably honestly the, the most fun i'm guessing that's probably where you started your career right absolutely yeah so i've i've been with the agency for about 18 years okay. and uh fortunately for me i've got to do a little bit of everything before getting stuck in the office yeah. um, i am kind of one of those strange people that likes the administrative side of the job so mm-hmm. it does work well for me but um, i didn't go into this line of work for the administrative mm-hmm. side i went into this line of work to be in the field and work with animals and, and hunters and things like that, and I still get to do a fair amount of that. But, um, yeah, my career has spanned um, everything from wildlife technician to public lands on wildlife management areas. Uh, I've done some private lands work. I've been program-specific where I focused on small game. Small game biologist. I was a small game biologist for almost 10 years, really focusing on, on bobwhite quail really? and, and other small game okay. species. I used to interview you for the squirrel preview. That's right, that's right. and I really, that was probably the most fun that I had really getting to do that that job um, then I started stepping into administration got into um, became our assistant director I joke with people and tell them that I sort of became an accountant at that point with no accountant no formal accounting training or background but I managed money and grants and things yeah. like that and uh, then the door opened up and became uh, wildlife division director so here I am you know I was talking to Jacob Stewart <coughs> who's with private <coughs> lands um, the other day, they were back here in this building doing like kind of like a, a private lands um, get together sure. where all the private lands biologists get together and they talk about what they're seeing with landowners, how they can help landowners, things like that. And he told me it was kind of funny being in this building because it's gone full circle where this building that we're in used to be a quail barn. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. Back in the that's 80s. Right. <laughs> and what the department was doing was raising quail and giving them to landowners to release on their property, thinking yep. that, hey, these quail will take off while populations of quail. And now we're so habitat focused. Right. Because I think we realize that you can't just put <clears throat> Doesn't quail work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a noble effort. And uh, unfortunately, I, I wish it did work. It would make it a whole lot easier on everybody if it was that simple with mm-hmm. quail. You know, most other species you can move around and, mm-hmm. and release and propagate. But, um, 
Not so much with quail for whatever reason. But our, our focus has just changed so much from it's not like stocking fish when you're dealing with animals, especially right. like quail. You know, it's really <clears throat> about the habitat and about managing the landscape. And it's kind of like the focus has shifted for us where we're not raising quail in this building anymore and just turning them loose on the landscape. But we're trying to go out there and talk to landowners about managing your property for wildlife and you know your your neighbors you and your neighbors make up this chunk and you can yep. manage it together and pretty much have whatever you want you know some things absolutely I mean, that's that's really what we're pushing and especially under jacob's leadership is is really trying to foster a land ethic among so many of our landowners well, yeah and mm-hmm. you know it's it's a tough sale uh some folks are all about it and all in and others you know they look at you real strange and don't really understand what you're trying to do but yeah. um so it's tough, but we we make progress. Well, you started this off by saying that, you know, you, it's a broad topic, wildlife, right? Like, I mean, you run the gambit of pretty much everything you could think of. For me, fall hunting's coming up right around the corner. Yep. I mean, we are, what is today? July the 17th, so we're a month and a half away. We'll be deer hunting, we'll be squirrel hunting, or not squirrel. Yeah, squirrel will be yep. in then, too. Deer, squirrel, dove, turkey if you're an archer. I mean, literally, we're a month and a half yep. from everything kicking off. So there's so many things I want to talk about, too. And then you were talking about private lands management a second ago, and mama, I wanted to talk about public lands, too. So literally, <laughs> sure. there's all these species, all this hunting we could talk about, non-game species, private lands, public lands. I don't even know where to start. Lee, why don't you start us off? Because I, I could go anywhere with it. <laughs> That's right. Well, one thing I think is really cool, and we've talked about before, is establishing different levels of management for each WMA. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly to allocate resources in a smarter manner, but also to let the public know this is what your expectation should be before you visit this particular property. That's right. Yeah, that's something that's new within the past year, probably. Yeah. It is. It is. So for those of listening that are not familiar with, well, just the term WMA, that's, you know, wildlife management area, mm-hmm. and that's our, our public land. Um, and we're either a we manage over a half million acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have agreements with, with other entities or just outright own over a half million acres around the state. And that's, uh, so that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of the properties that we're, that we manage or have a say in, um, you know, not every property is managed equally. Well, and yeah, different <clears throat> goals for different, different terrains. I mean, absolutely, it, it, it um, should be different. And and a lot of it is driven really by uh, the amount of resources that we have. You know, we only have so many staff. We only have so much budget. We only have so much equipment. So we really got creative and had to find a way to explain this mm-hmm. to our end user. You know, because so many people were coming out on on WMAs and expecting everything to be managed you know in a pristine condition and Mm -hmm. um and sometimes maybe they left a little disappointed because their expectations were probably a little too high Mm -hmm. Um, i would argue that every chunk of every acre that we have on a wma is wonderful and invaluable Um, but some I, i don't like to say are better than others some are managed probably a little more intensively than others and so really this this whole classification system was about setting expectations for folks before they go out and helping them to kind of choose their own journey for me it's the opposite (laughs) like you 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 talk about people complaining maybe there aren't mode lanes you know Mm -hmm. leading them where they want to go maybe they got to beat it through the the woods you know for me it's opposite like i almost look at the wmas Mm -hmm. and i'm almost looking for the ones that say low because it's low medium and high sure so I, I want the ones that are a lower level of, of management because I personally like just being out in the woods. Absolutely. And I don't really want to see Absolutely. 
mowed or manicured and things like that. So I'm not going to say that low is a bad thing at all. Not I re- at all. I think it just depends on what all. you're looking for. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, we've it's all based on management level. That's how we're classifying these. So <clears throat> your high management levels, those are your WMAs that are kind of our flagship WMAs that everybody knows about, they're familiar with. Um, and they typically have an office there. They mm-hmm. typically have staff. They typically have... Equipment. Like Yellow Bank, we were at Yellow yeah, Bank. like Yellow Bank, Clay Wildlife Management Area, oh, Peabody, I, I Ballard, Miller Welch, you know. probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that one's classified a little differently just because of all of the the shooting and yeah. And well, dog that's what activities. I was saying. There's a lot going on on that. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got a few kind of outliers okay. that. Uh, but and then we we go down to the moderate level, which there's still some some activities going on there. We're still doing habitat management, uh, but it's a little more hands off because we don't have people maybe right there on site. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have equipment on site. Mm-hmm. We have to. To trailer equipment over and haul it there and then you've got your lows as you mentioned um where we're just really not doing a whole lot we're you know we're maintaining access points mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep trash cleaned up and things like that and but a lot of times those are great places to go because they're going to get the least amount of pressure yeah mm-hmm. and i mean the lows i mean the type of management that would probably be happening on a low might be honeysuckle removal absolutely right Some or long-term se- projects. cedar harvest sure just sure. managing the landscape, yep. especially the wooded landscape in a way like that. Uh, give me an example of some management that might take place on a moderate level. You know, so a, a moderate and low can look fairly similar as far as long-term projects. You may have a long-term forest management project going where you've got, you know, some, um, like you said, exotic species removal like honeysuckle. Um, you're doing some timber stand improvements where you're maybe re- removing some of the understory maples and things like that. Mm-hmm. So stuff that it's might be subtle that you, you may not really recognize if you go out there, but over time you're probably going to see mm-hmm. some changes. Um, but also on moderates, you might still find a dove field there, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, you know, you may find some more, uh, maybe some, some mode access lanes and things like that. Um, but then when you transition to high, that's where you're really going to notice. When you're out there, you're going you're gonna to see stuff going on. You're going to see some active food plots. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to see some active timber harvests and forest management, mm-hmm. uh, some, some good maintained trails, things like that. Yeah. They're doing some fantastic uh, honeysuckle removal on clay right now. Absolutely. They're, doing a, they're utilizing a new technique. That's Dude. something I wish we would have covered. This is interesting. You should talk about this, Ben, because it's revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. It's it is revolutionary. It's uh, aerial herbicide application for the removal of of bush honeysuckle, and, and they're targeting that species. And it's very targeted. And we're going to be doing it again, so you'll have a chance to come yeah. check it out. I remember um, last. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Last year when this it was t- said that hey we're going to go do this, we're going to try it. Yep. We, we're not sure if it's going to work, but it's worth a shot. Yeah. You know, I was sitting there like, is this something to cover? Is it not? And long story short, we didn't cover it. But then I heard the results, and it's like, man, I wish we would have covered that. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. And uh, kudos to our guys in the Northeast region uh, for, for being willing to, to try this. And, well, I, and take I think the Clay, personally, for me, is the coolest WMA, it, one of the coolest is, we have. It's is, tremendous. Uh, it's the it's work they've done up there. Is, and it's only getting better with this aerial herbicide, you know. Um, and if folks aren't familiar with bush honeysuckle, because it's it's not a problem across the entire state. Yet there are still some areas that they don't have to deal with it as much. But if you're in the central, mm-hmm. northern, northeastern part of the state, it's a disaster. Yeah, and, um, we've got a ton here on the game farm. Yeah, you walk out of this door, it's you the first thing you'll see. Find yeah, it. I've got my backyard killed all the way my backyard. So it's hard to kill. It's hard to kill, and the and the problem with it is, is it just overtakes your understory in your forest, chokes out everything, chokes out all of your new oak trees and your hickory trees and 
you're under a story that you're trying to grow. So, um, yeah, we got creative and we've we've brought in a helicopter. And um, if you're doing this by hand, if anybody has ever treated honeysuckle by hand, you know it is a job. Mm-hmm. It is a job because mm-hmm. you actually have to physically go out and cut it. I cut it down, and sprayed with Roundup, and, and did it again, did it again. Stump. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's going to re-sprout on you. It's but there's a time of year um, when everything else in the forest, you're looking at kind of that late October, early November period. Pretty much everything else in the forest has gone dormant on you. Honeysuckle still has its leaves on, and it's still very susceptible to herbicide. So we were able to fly the helicopter over, just spray the woods, and uh, hit those leaves on honeysuckle and not damage our trees and other species. And it's working. So this year, so obviously that was done in, let's just say, November of last year, whenever it was. This year when March, April, May started rolling through, you started seeing the trees and all the other bush, yep. the high bush blueberries, low bush blueberry, whatever, yep. starting to green up and have some, some, some life to them. But sure. then the, the honeysuckles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not a hundred percent kill the first year. We'll have to repeat and go back in. Uh, we're partnered with the university of Kentucky as well. And they're going to be doing some, some research plots out there uh, just to, to see how, you know, efficient we are and how successful we and are. You just so. drive down the interstate. It's, you know, mind boggling how much there is. It is just, I mean, in the fall, if y'all do everything green, you see, if y'all know where bush honeysuckle is, yes. drive down the interstate in central Kentucky, first of November, the green stuff, that's bush honeysuckle. Yep. And it is bad. Oh, that's awesome that we're getting that cleaned up yeah. and a new technique. But yeah, I remember hearing about that. So that's some of the type of stuff yep. that would be going on on a high management area. Absolutely. WMA. Absolutely. And that kind of uh, invasive species removal wouldn't be limited to just high, but sure. it is the, the kind of thing that you'll see going on at high right. level management. Right. Native species, native grasses at clay are oh, probably yeah. Yeah. top notch in the state, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the big blue stem, the little blue stem i mean there's so many cool you but those stands a big blue stem you can see why the settlers were nervous and those and yeah absolutely. i mean they're absolutely. big enough for native americans to hide in you know they're huge really well but i and you know all in all i think that tearing or what do we want to go away from tearing what do we want to call it now yeah management level just a management, yeah, level. management level assigning yeah. a management level to these wmas for the public to see makes sense because you know, like you said, you people might have called and complained that, mm-hmm. I don't know, a w, WMA out in eastern Kentucky didn't have the mowed lane they needed to get where they wanted to go. But somebody else like me might have called and complained and said, hey, man, I went out to this WMA expecting yep. some backcountry hunting and... Man, this you know, all cleaned up and pretty. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it doesn't. It looks like uh, you know, like a, a high management level yeah. WMA should look. So I think that assigning these is good as long as people understand what they mean. Sure. Because high doesn't necessarily mean <clears throat> it's better for no. whatever you're looking to do, and low doesn't necessarily mean it's worse. Mm-hmm. So you know, it could. But if you understand that high management level, what it means, low management level, what it means, you can make a better informed decision about where you want to go. Sure. And fall hunting season's rolling up right around the corner. People are going to be looking for these WMAs. I hope. I hope so. No, I'm telling you, the WMAs, I mean, it's such a great resource. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I always hunted private land growing up. I had access to private land. And I didn't really start diving into the WMAs until I started hunting things that I couldn't hunt on private land, you know. I wanted to go bear hunting. I wanted to go out there and see the elk or, you know, if I wanted to go rabbit hunt, well, there's only so much rabbit hunting I can do on 50 acres. You know, I can run yeah. my dog around there and then eventually he's going to, sure. you know, know every rabbit by, by his, right. yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to get out and explore those places, but there are so many public lands in the state, like ones I've explored just recently, Yellow Bank, <clears throat> Knobs, 
Um, so all the lakes have good WMAs around oh, yeah. them. The, the, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Reservoirs do at least. Mm-hmm. So there's WMAs like literally from where we're sitting right now, we could probably drive within an hour to five or six. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that almost goes for anywhere you are in the state. There's like one or two little gaps here and there yeah. where there might not be as many. But you can go to our website and find all these public lands, right? And there's Absolutely. a great interactive map on the WMA page, the WMA levels page, where you can look and yep. and, get, and choose and it'll yep. bring it up. And yeah. all, you know, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I would just encourage everybody to give them a try. You know, I think there's a misconception out there that wmas are not good hunting that they're overcrowded and you know they often get overlooked and that's not the case um especially if you're willing to work a little bit maybe later in the season yes they've had some pressure on them but early season if you're into bow hunting you have a crossbow uh, small game hunting uh, you can really get out there and have the place to yourself many times. Oh, so not just, I mean, if you're just willing to walk a little, <coughs> little bit yeah. further than everybody else, yeah. and that's not that far. Yeah. Like most people aren't willing to walk. They want to hunt from their truck. <laughs> and a lot of, you mentioned, you know, our lakes and reservoirs. I mean, many times you can access those by boat oh, yeah. and really get off the beaten path where people aren't willing to walk to. Yeah, so. and it's it's the, a lot of people do that on Taylorsville, yeah. on Green, on Nolan. Like literally every <coughs> reservoir that is a U.S. Army Corps of Engineers reservoir has a WMA around it. And the way that works is the red line, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. you can explain this better than me, I'm sure, Ben, but essentially the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has to own all the land that that lake could take up. So the lake's highest possible level, where would it be? All of that land has to be owned by the Army Corps. And so they own it. And then we have agreements with them where it's opened up for public hunting, and those are wildlife management areas. So around Taylorsville Lake, you have Taylorsville Lake WMA. Mm-hmm. This surrounds the entire lake. That's correct. Same thing on Green, same thing on Rough, same thing on Nolan. So literally all the lakes, anywhere you go boating, it's pretty much an opportunity to go hunting, too. Right. You just have, and you can hunt from a boat, certain yeah. species. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Some great opportunities. And, and uh, Cedar Creek Lake has a pretty robust WMA around it. Yeah, all of them. I really think that not, what when you do the surveys, Ben, you see the reasons people don't hunt or say that they got out of it. What I mean, the number one reason is always a place to go, right? It's always access, yeah, it's or, a, or lack of. That's absolutely, yeah, and absolutely. Th- that's what makes sense to me. Yeah, and and like I said, so many people. I think it's just been ingrained in people. They think they have to have private lands yeah. to have mm-hmm. a good hunt, and uh, it's just it's not the case. You well, are going to work probably a little harder on public lands because yeah. you're not going to be. In most cases, you're not going to drive your four-wheeler across it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have to walk a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's not a bad thing because that that creates some areas that people aren't willing to go to. Mm-hmm. For those that are, boy, you've got, you've got to it. some really good spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when, I'm like I told you, when I grew up, I always hunted private, right? And there was always this big fear of mine, losing losing the private you know where what am i going to do and then as i started going to wmas for other things like rabbit or like bear or whatever i started to put my mind at ease because i was like well i got a place to hide yeah you know what i mean like lots of them something happened i've got half a million acres yeah (laughs) i don't know if i'll ever hunt all half a million but there's a few but no it it really did put my mind at ease i was there over slowly over time i became less worried about that private feeling like that was my only option because it's like man i can and i've hunted public land for deer the past three or four years usually it's out of state or at fort knox Mm -hmm. because i'm filling a deer tag on private and then looking to keep hunting but I could do those exact same things on Kentucky on our public land, Mm -hmm. no problem at all. Mm -hmm. So really, the big problem I see, we got all these people that we want to to get outdoors and go hunting, right? Mainly in the urban areas, right? Because if you look at the breakdowns and the demographics, I really think that a lot of people get into hunting because 
they can walk out their back door and do it. Or their buddy that they grew up with in middle school, his dad liked to hunt, and they had a farm, so they got introduced to it like that. Well, if you're talking about urban areas, that's much less of an opportunity, right? Because if you live in the city, chances are you can't walk out your back door, or your mm-hmm. buddy on the baseball team probably doesn't have a farm. But that's where the public land comes into play, right? Because yep. if, if people in urban areas knew that Otter Creek was 30 miles down, you know, south down Dixie Highway, well, then maybe they go hunt in Otter Creek. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Taylorsville Lake WMA is sure. a 30-minute drive outside of the city. You know, maybe they go Knob State Forest is 20 miles south of Lowell, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. So there's this big holdup with one of the main reasons people don't go hunting is access to hunting. But I really think it's a gap there where people don't realize the ac- access that exist is there for them. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, you know, sometimes you got to do a little homework. Most of our mm-hmm. public areas are are open <clears throat> under statewide regulations. Now, keep in mind for, for deer, when you get into modern firearms for deer, that's not always the case. We do have a few properties that you can go out on uh, that are open under statewide regs, but but most we have a quota hunt system mm-hmm. in place. That should be. So it just, and it just requires a little, little pre-work. Uh, you have to apply in the month of September and and get selected, uh, but it's really not that hard to get drawn. There's not a whole lot of competition for most of these places. Mm-hmm. Some there are, some they take mm-hmm. some some time to get selected, but it's a great opportunity. And then you, if you do get selected, you've uh, you've got a great place to hunt during uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, with your modern firearm. Yeah, you can have you know the equivalent of the best private hunt if you get selected mm-hmm. for a good quota. Sure, hunt, you know, sure. Where uh, when are the quota hunt signups? Uh, quota hunt sign up, I believe that's the month of September. September, right? September. <laughs> I've written that release. September is quota hunt month. <laughs> right. So Lee has all the details on that. They'll just it, that's that's your, you know, it used to be this one and that one, and they just wanted to standardize it so yep. people knew, you know. So September's coming up. That's the month you'd apply for Sand Hill Crane or mm-hmm. any of the deer quota hunts, and and I need to put in for the uh, pheasant hunt on clay. We forgot last year could kick ourselves. That's fine. Yeah, that's another another quota opportunity out there. Is mm-hmm. three Green River has so. one, and Yellowbacks too. That's right? correct. Yellowbacks yep. still has a quota hunt for yep. present. I know yep. a couple guys. They mm-hmm. they swear up and down that if you want to introduce someone new to hunting, take them on that quota hunt for pheasant. Mm-hmm. And that's what one group of bird hunters I know say. But they right. say that there's because you get the dog, you get mm-hmm. yep. you get shots. They say that it's the best. You way flush birds. It's exciting. Yeah. They're gigantic birds. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I've always heard that that was a really good opportunity, and that's something I've looked to, to see if we wanted to do for the TV show before was a, one of those quota hunt, pheasant hunts, but I, I just wasn't sure about, you know, how that worked. It's something yeah. I'm unfamiliar with, so yeah. I need to look more into it. But so the WMA tiering system and just public land search in general, if somebody wants to find somewhere to hunt, where do they go um, on the on the website? Do they just type in WMA in the search bar? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's usually where... It, We'll go to the hunt page. Yeah, there's a lot of great information on our website. Sometimes it can be a little tricky to find, but mm-hmm. um, I have found that uh, on the home page, the search box is your best friend, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it really is a good search function. And the hunt and, page uh, for hunting. There's yeah, so hunt page, much stuff on the hunt page. A lot of great info on and hunting. Your guides are on there. Your links to the public lands page, mm-hmm. links to the WMA page we've been talking about. Yep. Yep. So, so speaking of hunting, deer season is probably the main one coming up, mm-hmm. right? What percentage... Of our hunters or deer hunters, do you know? Oh, off the top of my head, I don't. You but it's a numbers. It's a high percentage. Like yeah. most people who hunt, yeah, probably most, have a deer permit. Most people are out there deer hunting. I mean, that's got to be. I'm assuming fishing is probably our biggest it individual is. thing, and mm-hmm. I, I've got to think our second biggest individual would be deer hunters. Yes, yeah, right? I think that's that's safe. Probably followed. Don't quote me, but 
turkey and doves probably follow it up pretty close. Yeah. So but. September is coming up. Yep. What do people need to know about hunting coming up right around the corner? Deer hunting's coming up as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, it's my favorite time of year going into the fall. There's just mm-hmm. so many opportunities. Oh, out I there. can't wait. Yeah, I absolutely. Am. So. You know, first thing, we just talked about public land. Start doing some prep work. If you're looking for a place to go, take advantage of our website, do some homework, go out mm-hmm. and visit some areas and, and map you out some hunts. Um, you know, a few things to consider as we move into the fall with, with deer hunting especially, and that's uh, chronic wasting disease. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure just about everybody has heard something about chronic wasting disease over the last few years. Is what they heard true? Or? Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of uh, truths, and it's, it's trying to decipher all of that, again, our webpage has some great information. Mm-hmm. We have a dedicated CWD page on there. Uh, I would encourage people to go look at that and learn more about it. Um, Kentucky, as of today, is there have still been zero detections of CWD in Kentucky, and we do uh, extensive testing, so we're, we're really proud of that. Um, you know, all of our neighboring states, I think with the exception of Indiana, have had CWD detections, so it's, it's closing in on us, unfortunately, but, mm-hmm. um, but we're prepared. And uh, for those of folks that own land or hunt in the far western part of the state, you're probably familiar with our CWD surveillance zone that we've had in place. Five counties. Five, Five counties. Graves, Hickman, Marshall, Callaway. That is correct. They that is it. correct. That's been in place. I think this is our third <laughs> hunting season that that's in place. Basically what spawned that is we have a CWD, a chronic wasting disease response plan for the agency. And it's been in place for a lot of years. It's constantly getting revised based on the newest science. Um, but whether there's a detection in state or whether there's a detection in a neighboring state, you know, there's a, a radius there. Uh, if it gets within so many miles of our border, it triggers the next step of our response plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened, um, I guess, going on three years ago in uh, Henry County, Tennessee, I believe it was where they had a positive CWD detection within eight miles of our border down around Murray, Kentucky. So that triggered us to, to step up our surveillance. And uh, so we have some special regulations in those five counties uh, that you can still hunt pretty much the same way you could always hunt with a few exceptions. Uh, there's no baiting allowed. There's You can't remove an animal from that zone unless the meat has been deboned. Mm-hmm. Um, we do require some mandatory checks at certain times throughout the the hunting season there so really just an effort to try to ramp up our surveillance and get as many samples from as many deer as we can um yeah you know to determine yeah. how we're doing on cwd and we've had other guests on the podcast before who've always told us that early detection is key right absolutely because well, you want to you want to find that first case as quick as you can that way you can kind of you know isolate it we know where this is where it's at step up the management in that area or the the monitoring in that area get a get a handle on it and we've seen new york had good success in the past when they got a confirmed case of cwd in a isolated area and they were able to handle it pretty efficiently and right now they don't have any more confirmed cwd right sure that's correct and you know you're exactly right early detection is key with cwd and uh, that's why we sample so intensively Mm -hmm. um you know, other states that it's it's crept up on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't sampling very hard. They weren't really looking for it. And then when they finally found it, they realized, oh, no, this is widespread. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're pretty confident in Kentucky <clears throat> that that won't happen to us. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying that it won't. we won't have a positive detection at some point. But given how much sampling we've done over the years, we feel like that it's not going to catch us off guard and we're mm-hmm. not going to be super 
you know, inundated with the disease if and when that does happen. And so essentially the things that are different in the CWD surveillance zone, which are those five counties we mentioned, mm-hmm. Fulton, Hickman, Marshall, Graves, Callaway, mm-hmm. <clears throat> far western part of the state, is that <clears throat> there's a baiting ban. Mm-hmm. So no um, minerals or grain or anything like that. So you can't put out a corn pile. You can't put out a feeder. Right. Food plots are, are different. Food Those plots are okay. They're normal agricultural mm-hmm. practices. Absolutely. But as far as isolating deer where they're all hitting the same exact spot, that's that's a no-go. And the reason for that is trying to reduce transmission, right? Absolutely. And we Absolutely. know that deer are out there hitting, licking branches and, sure. and eating leaves and putting their nose on the ground. Sure. But if you can, you know, not congregate that any more than you have to, right. so that's a betting ban. Absolutely. The other thing you mentioned was the transport ban. Right. So right now it's illegal to bring whole deer carcasses or brain and spinal matter and things like that into the state from any other state. Right. It's also uh, not legal to leave that five county zone with them. That's correct. So you're almost looking at it like don't bring anything into the state of Kentucky and if you take and if you harvest an animal in those five counties, don't bring it out. Right. And that's brain, spinal tissue, pretty much you you need to have a deboned deer and a skull cap. That is correct. To leave those areas. That's correct. <laughs> and that's because uh, and this is all reiterated, but that's because of the way CWD is transmitted. It's a prion. It's it's going to be in the brain and the spinal tissue. It's going to be in the bone marrow. So essentially, we want to leave all that there so it doesn't go get taken somewhere else. Because once the animal's dead, the disease isn't dead. It's right. going to live on and sure. live on. Sure. It stays in that prion, stays on the environment, so on the landscape for yeah. a, a long, long time. time. So, and, But people can still hunt down there, and they sure. can still safely hunt. Absolutely. And they can... Honestly, I mean, down there in that area, they have all the opportunity in the world to get their deer tested if they want through voluntary checks. But then there are also some mandatory checks. So maybe a little peace of mind knowing that, hey, you know what, CWD might be a little bit more high risk down here due to the proximity we are to a positive case that happened in Tennessee. You know, a little peace of mind. But there's also ways for people across the entire state to get their deer checked. Right. Sure. And those are like voluntary drop-off freezers? Absolutely. Again, go to our website for more information on that. But we're we're deploying freezers across the state, and we're really trying to ramp them up in that five-county area. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, there's a lot of drop-off locations. Um, Dual purpose. One, that allows us to increase their sample size across the state. But, two, it allows us to partner with hunters. And Mm -hmm. if they want their deer tested, then that's a way for them to get Mm -hmm. their deer tested. Because they will get confirmation on whether or not it came back positive or that's correct or negative i mean so when they say say i kill a deer right and i really am asking this because i don't know sometimes i ask questions in here i know the answer to but this one if i go up to a freezer i want to drop my deer head off and have a test for cwd i killed a doe right mm-hmm. i cut the, do- the doe's head off <clears throat> put it in a bag put it in the freezer do i get a reference number when i drop that off uh yes i believe so it's been a while since i've dropped one off it's like on the papers there, but there's on. a any of these stations, there'll be, uh, you know, detailed instructions about what to do. There'll mm-hmm. be a clipboard there. You fill out all the information. You tag your sample. And I believe there's, like, a, a tag that you maybe rip off the number or mm-hmm. something like that. That, that you, makes sense. That you have reference to. I, I Don't quote me that on that. That has to it, be how it works. I, yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's some kind of number. Um, I want to say that's how right. how that works. But, again, it's been a while since I've I've actually donated a sample I think to you, one of those stations. I think so. it's a piece of paper. You fill it out, and then you rip the top off, like you said, and you attach the form to the deer head that you put in the freezer. You take the other part with you. and It's just like when you go to the fair and you enter a, <clears throat> a raffle. You know, they rip the ticket in half, and sure. they put one in the bucket, and they give you the one. So you've got your number there, and you'll know if you're the winner or not. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty pretty positive that's how it works. But those are popping up all over the state. Absolutely. 
Yep. So you don't have to be in the CWD surveillance zone to get your deer tested. You do not. You do not. We hope to continue to increase that program and have more freezers across the landscape mm-hmm. in yeah. the coming years. And we aren't just testing yeah. in the and the CWDs. No, I mean, no, no. Statewide. Oh, no. We test, uh, we test statewide, and we've been doing that for a lot of years. For a long time. For yeah. a long time. So, mm. yeah. so if we naturally, hope we don't. Let's just say we do get CWD someday in the future, now, whatever year this is, right? I mean, <clears throat> we're kind of most likely to get it in one of those areas near where positives have popped up across the borders if we get it naturally. But... We could get CWD that pops up anywhere in the state due to hunter transport, right? Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. the most. If if we just mm-hmm. all of a sudden get it and it's in central Kentucky, chances yep. are that we got it because somebody yeah, brought it in likely. here. Yeah. And that's and that's yeah. happened. Uh, other states have experienced that. You know, just randomly popped up in the middle of the state, no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's probably one that's uh, been transported at some time. You know, this this disease can take a while mm-hmm. to develop in a deer, so you can have an infected deer on the landscape for Not a while yeah. before it really starts being clinical and, and start showing signs like 18 months in like yeah, a year and a half can, it can take a while and that's why we typically we, we try to target older age class deer in our sampling just because they've had an opportunity to be exposed longer and they're they're more likely to you know to test positive if they're going to so coming up on fall hunting just to kind of recap so far we've talked public mm-hmm. lands mm-hmm. if somebody wants a place to go hunt Go to that WMA management level page. That's yep. a great page. Yeah, well, they can look at the public lands, uh, see the whole interactive map. They can see them all listed out. There's almost 100 yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. So they can see them all. And then when they click on one, say they live in eastern Kentucky. And so they're, okay, okay well, there's 10 WMAs that look reasonably close to me. They can click on one of those icons. It'll pop up. It'll show them this WMA is 3,500 acres. And and it'll have that little icon there, low, medium, or high. Well, now they hopefully understand what low, medium, mm-hmm. or high means. Just because it says low, that might be exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, if it says high, that might be exactly what you're looking for. And then we also just talked a little bit about um, deer in, in the CWD zone. Now, that's not necessarily deer hunting in general. That's kind of a small niche. Mm-hmm. How many counties we got? 120? Mm-hmm. That affects five. And people who hunt in those counties right. who aren't from those counties. What about the rest of the state? What about the other 115 counties? The rest of the state's looking good. Looking, looking good. good. Our deer population continues to be robust. Uh, you can go to any county in Kentucky mm-hmm. and have an opportunity to harvest a deer, which oh, yeah. is pretty cool mm-hmm. considering, you know, it wasn't that long ago when that wasn't the case. There yeah. wasn't that many deer. Oh, you, you know, yeah. you talk to your your parents, your grandparents, and, and they never saw deer. It was it was a strange thing. You had to go to special places to see deer. Exactly. You know? So we've come a long way in a, in a short amount of time. And uh, to the point now that we really are, are trying to get creative and, and find strategies to harvest more deer, you know, mm-hmm. especially in what we call zone one counties. You know, we have four different zones based on deer densities. So if you're a zone one county, you really have too many deer. We're trying to get you back down a little bit more to that zone two level, which is that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And then zone three and zone four are your lower density areas. <coughs> trying so to get them up. Trying to get them up a little bit. And that's why in zone one, we got unlimited <coughs> harvest of does. Absolutely. Take as many as you want. Yep. And in zone four, it's very restrictive harvest of does. Can't do it with a firearm. Yep. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's hard. And yeah. In order to take a, a doe in zone four, you pretty much got to be hunting with archery equipment or maybe a muzzleloader. I can't remember if muzzleloader. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, yeah. I, I know but, firearms are out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, zone one, there's there's plenty of opportunity. Um, 
you know, something we, one of our partners that, that we work with is Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry that many people might be familiar mm-hmm. with, but mm-hmm. um, such a great partner and a great outlet for folks who maybe want to keep hunting, but but don't need more meat, mm-hmm. for instance. We hear that a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because most folks, according Freezer to surveys, then what people call it? only kill like yeah. one to one and a half deer per hunter. And a lot of that is because they're freezer limited. They yeah. just mm-hmm. don't eat that much deer or don't can't mm-hmm. store that much deer. But yet they enjoy hunting and want to keep doing it. Jerry Bynack has nine freezers. <laughs> so, and a lot of people do. But, uh, <laughs> so the Hunters for the Hunt. Hun- Hunters for the Hungry program is a great opportunity for folks that want to keep hunting, especially in those zone one counties, and, and to help yeah. out, you know, help with their deer management, reduce densities, and help feed, feed people the, who are less fortunate. Who are less oh, fortunate. it's a really good program. I remember when they had the flooding in eastern Kentucky and also the tornadoes in western Kentucky. Yep. Hunters for the Hungry was involved donating meals. Yep. And that's something we've worked with here at the show. We've donated deer to Hunters for yep. the Hunger. I think it's a great program. Yep. Um, Healthy, good. You know, good protein, lean yep. protein. Absolutely. What are the issues that come Chemical along free? with overpopulation? What are like? I mean, aside from let's just say disease, if we get it, it's more likely to yeah, spread. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of a lot of reasons why we want to reduce deer densities and maintain them. You know, at a more manageable level, and um, obviously disease. Uh, but then you start having some some human interactions. You think about vehicle collisions. You think about crop damage. You know, a lot of farmers in high density areas when these deer are munching on their soybeans mm-hmm. or, or corn crops or other things um, can cause a lot of problems for people. I've also heard that um, zone two, for instance, the mm-hmm. ideal deer density, um, you know, is more productive in terms of trophy bucks. Um, there, I can't remember who it was. Somebody told us on the podcast one time that, you know, if you have all these does, I mean, the goal of a buck is going to be to breed the does, right? Mm-hmm. And their bucks are pretty much going to be breeding the does until the does are bred, right? So if you've got five times as many does as you should have in a given area, well, your big buck has got five times as much work to do, right? And he's more likely to run himself to death or fight himself to death or do a lot of things that result in poor health or death mm-hmm. for him. So you're more likely to get a buck that will live to maturity if they aren't having to run around like crazy chasing five times as many does as they should to have to every fall. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, on the, the flip side of that, I think a lot of times you'll see areas with super high densities, like around my house is a great example. It's, um, I'm in a rural setting and it's nothing for me to see 30 does at a time in the fields, which obviously I've is seen two, three that's, in, that's, in Frankfurt, like yeah, and that's, in people's backyards in the last right. couple of weeks. 30 deer driving down my driveway is too many deer. And mm-hmm. I, I try to do my part to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to reduce those, but it's just too many deer. But a lot of times your, your bucks in that area, they don't have to work as hard mm-hmm. because the deer are so congregated there that they don't have to get out and roam as, as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it can go either way, really. Uh, as a result, my example I see a whole lot of little year and a half old bucks. You know, I, I don't see a whole lot of big bucks, probably because of one of the two reasons that we just described. Mm-hmm. Either they're not there or they're just not having to get out and show themselves that mm-hmm. much because they don't have to work as hard. So Somebody in the does are so much more important. If you're trying to manage a, um, a population of anything, I'm sorry, guys, but the females are incredibly more important, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the analogy that somebody gave me, and I absolutely loved it, was if you – if you put 10 cows and one bull in a pen, how many are you going to end up with next year? And then if you took 10 bulls and one cow and mm-hmm. put them in a pen, how many are you going to sure. end up with next yeah, year? Sure. So, I mean, you can see that the females drive the population. Right. One buck can, can you know, is, is all it takes, Absolutely. to be 100% honest with you. So, in those areas out in Zone 4, where we want more 
more deer. That's why doe harvest is restricted because those does are so important. Right. And that's why in zone one where we want less deer, unlimited does. Take yep. as many as you want because yep. that's how you knock the population down, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm I'm going to get out there and do my part again this year. I can't wait. Yep. I've got this one on trail camera. I've got this one doe. And she has got a nose on her like a horse. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's one oh, of those. Oh, yep. As soon as I saw her, I said, oh, my gosh, she's going to be trouble. Yeah. Big, long nose nanny. Leave. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that when you deer hunt, especially when you bow hunt, there's these certain does that have these super long faces. And those are your worst nightmare when you're a deer hunter because those are the ones who They'll raised, bust you. Oh, my goodness. Smart. Yeah. yeah. They're the ones who've raised three or four sets of fawns, and they've been on high alert most of their life, and they pick up on things that the most mature buck's not going to pick yep. up on. Well, I mean, yep. mamas aren't, you know. That's right. After you've raised a few kids, <laughs> the, the the tricks of the older sibling don't work no more. Because <laughs> well, I'm the youngest, and I know. I'm telling you, there are certain deer, like of all the deer in the woods, the one that is, you know, if I see her walking my way, that big old long-nosed doe, yeah. that's the one I, I want to stay away. Because, I mean, it's just any other doe to me, you know. A doe's a doe. If I, But, man, she's going to bust you. It's like having the smartest deer in the woods yeah. just walking straight towards you. True. I was actually going to find this just so I could show you. Um, here, this this picture. That's her. You can see the nose on that thing. Oh, yeah, that's a good mature yeah, see. Doe right there. When she was walking around, I, it was, yep. That photo was taken three days after I was there, and she was smelling every blade of yep. grass. She yep. she already knows me, probably by name. Right. <laughs> now I mean it's just ridiculous. Yeah, but when, I, when you come around again, I'll be hiding. Yeah, I absolutely love. I mean, trail camera season's in right now for me, and that's yeah. something a lot of people are doing. Trail cameras are legal on WMAs too, right? Uh-huh. Yes. So just as far as the bank. You need to remove them at the end of the season, correct? Right, yeah. yeah. And there's some other restrictions you got to pay attention to on WMAs with, with tree stands and labeling your stand and uh, nothing permanent, screw-in steps, things like that. Yeah. So just familiarize yourself with, well, with the rules and regulations. You know, before, Rick's got yeah. something out on a tree of his. That, uh, the screw-in steps? Yeah, it sounds like. To get eviscerated. Well, uh, yeah, you can, I mean, you'd be disemboweled yeah. if you fell out of that oh, tree. A buddy of mine, I saw it happen. Not, I didn't see someone get disemboweled, okay? Exactly. <laughs> 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 uh, that's not what I saw. But I, his foot slipped off one when he was climbing up, and he fell down and caught at the bottom of his chin Oof. with Oof. another one, and he ended up going to the hospital. This yeah. split the bottom of his chin wide yeah. open. Yeah. I called him a wuss for not sticking it out. <laughs> he was He was leaking. He'd sprung a good leak. But, I mean, there's there's things you need to look into. But you can ran, run trail cameras on public land. Mm-hmm. I do in eastern yep. Kentucky every year. I've never had one stolen, never yep. had an issue with it. And I'm sure some of them walk off occasionally. Right. But in general, I see other people's trail cameras out there. I walk People are worried about a nice stand than I would be a trail camera. Yeah, but, I mean, label your stuff. Most people who go to WMAs do so with good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are out there for the exact same reasons you are, um, which yep. is, you know. And and people have good success on WMAs too, man. I see some monster deer come oh, off yeah. public land every Absolutely. single year. Absolutely, Penny Ralph Forrest, that uh, guy, the the Amish dude, shot this yep. probably ten years ago. That was a month. He oh, said he year. walked about a mile every year. Every year we but get he, just I monster mean, it pictures. Was an absolute yeah. monster. Yeah. There's this one guy. Oh, probably. I don't want to give away secrets or anything, but the Daniel Boone's a huge, mm-hmm. huge one. And there's this one guy I've heard of. I'm not going to say his name. But his whole strategy with hunting is he looks for properties that border the Daniel Boone, mm-hmm. and then he gets he might only get permission on ten acres, right. 
the hill run trail cameras there on that par- property and he'll put out minerals or something he's pulling deer off daniel boone right and he just does that on a bunch of small properties around the daniel boone and he's having yes multiple smart hundred big sanctuary for the most part yeah, so. 170 180 inch deer just coming out of the yeah. daniel boone yeah, that's such a rugged area most people aren't going to put in yeah. them i know. mean you can hunt it but it's it's tough you they're going to walk 100 yards from their truck and yeah, no that's good. The and they're heading to the house. Sure. I think everybody has this mental picture of the Daniel Boone as looking exactly like the Red River Gorge. Yep. The, every bit of the two hundred thousand right. acres, or how uh, two million acres, however big it is. It's definitely over five hundred thousand. I don't know what they're yeah. at right now. However big it is, everybody thinks it looks just like Augsburg Ridge or Gray's Arch or something. Right. Mm-hmm. When really, it's very diverse. Sure. You know, it goes all the way from Moorhead and up there around Cave Run Lake, like all the way down foothills. You know, all yeah. the way down into you know yeah. Bell County, right. much, where you right? go bear hunting, so, which is rugged yeah. and straight up. Yeah. So, man, like I said, when we started this, there's so much stuff I want to hit on. My mind's almost getting lost. Things I still want to talk about, dove hunting. You mm-hmm. said that that was the top three. We talked about fishing. We talked about deer being huge ones. And sure. then we said turkey and dove. Dove hunting's coming up. That's another public land opportunity for people. We have cooperator fields. We have WMA fields. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, And we also have two new quota hunts this year. The sign-up period's coming up. I've got to write a release mm-hmm. about it um, tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah. So people yeah. could put in for a high-quality quota hunt. That's a that's a new thing. Yeah, that'll be a new thing for sure. But, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of, of public land dove hunting opportunities. And uh, dove hunting is just one of my favorite things to do. Oh. I, I love the camaraderie. I love, uh, you know, it's you don't have to sit there and be super quiet like you're sitting in a deer stand. Maybe you're a turkey turkey blind. Mm-hmm. You can you can chat with your friends and, and have a good time. And uh, But, yeah, if you get a good hot dove field with a lot of birds coming in, there's nothing better. Oh, it's too fun. Yep. No, it, it's yep. fun. And Absolutely. I, I, I enjoy the public fields. Yeah. Sometimes I like going out there and just watching. Yeah. You know, you, know, so public you fields, do see some comedy. You, you see some interesting things. And you, <laughs> you've got to be careful on yeah. a public dove field and, and, and pay attention to your surroundings and everybody around you because, um, you know, as safe of a hunter as you might be, your your neighbor might not be as mm-hmm. much. But, um, but there's still some great opportunities there. And really, if... Um, the most use on public fields comes within that first weekend, yeah, the yeah. first few days of, of hunting. Go back and check them out, you know, a week or two into the season. You'll probably have the place to yourself. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. a lot of birds still. I've, and there's still I've, some birds. Absolutely. I've went first couple of weeks of October yeah, and had eight or nine birds on, on a yeah. well-hunted public yeah. field. And that's kind of dove hunting in general. That, that opening day effect is huge with dove hunting. You know, everybody feels like they have to be out there opening day. And then they, they lose interest pretty quick. So that's something to keep in mind. Take advantage yeah. of those. Well, a lot of people have good private season. fields. They won't. They, they won't let you even hunt them until like the second or third weekend. Right. Let the opening weekend furor abate. Yep. And then things calm down. It'll a push bit. bird. Yeah, they'll push birds off there right. onto you if you leave it be. Yeah. yeah, dove dove hunting. I mean, some some years it's a bigger gap. This year it comes in on a Friday, and then archery season comes in on the very next day but yeah. sometimes it's like man this is my first opportunity <laughs> yeah. to get out there but so w- people can find those public dove fields online too mm-hmm. that'll be online and those yeah. are scattered across the state they are and, yeah, and the mentor fields you know the cooperative mentor youth fields that's a great great way to introduce someone young into hunting yeah because they're going to have a lot that's structured for them they're going to be the only people on that field that day mm-hmm. it's the first shoot of the year so they're going to have ample opportunity mm-hmm. and nothing makes a say a 12 13 14 year old happier than to be able to put the shells in that shotgun and shoot his stuff that's flying around you know i mean 
sitting up deer hunting is pretty hard, but dove hunting, I mean, yeah. lots of it's a target-rich environment. A lot of action out there, so and it is good you, for you. You miss, especially when you're starting out, yeah. 95% of them. But yeah. I still miss 95%. <laughs> yeah, but but it's, it's fun, fun, fun. Yeah. It's funny when I'm dove hunting, I'll get some, you know, there will be that day where I'm three for three. I'm four for four. Now I'm like, I'm going to go 15 <laughs> for 15. The, and I never do. Yeah. I end up going back and getting another box yeah. of shells. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, it just all goes downhill for me every single time. I'm not sure why that is. A lot of times I'll start off cold, and once I hit one, then, uh-oh. Yep. And then I start piling them up. Yeah, got to break that ice. But For me, it's know, opposite. <laughs> it's funny. It's, a, it's sort of a good segue, but we were chatting earlier about uh like pittman robertson wildlife restoration excise tax funding mm-hmm. well the dove field is the best way to do that because oh, yeah. people are absolutely running through the ammunition when they're on those dove fields let's, yeah let's talk about that real quick because you're exactly right dove fields are probably i mean you can it might as well just be a cash register but so we talked about public lands and you know we've talked briefly before about how we get these public lands right so let's just take, for instance, uh, a new wildlife management area. Mm-hmm. How did we get that? Where did the, where did it come from? Right. So most of the time, and there's different ways that we acquire public land, but a traditional route um, for those who don't really aren't that aware of how we're funded as an agency. Yeah. Um, you know, and and maybe that's the better. Yeah. Way to discuss is agency funding, and we can tie it back into kind of that that public land acquisition. But um, so the way we're funded as an agency is we don't receive general fund tax dollars you know from our statewide general assembly we're self-funded mm-hmm. so the sale of hunting licenses fishing licenses and associated permits uh, that's our cash cow we rely heavily on that mm-hmm. um, we also rely on federal grants so folks may be familiar with the term pittman robertson mm-hmm. funds or wildlife restoration same thing uh, but that's that's federal funds that come through a federal excise tax so Anybody that purchases ammunition, mm-hmm. anybody that purchases firearms, archery equipment, they're paying into the, essentially this, this excise tax. And it's, it's actually the manufacturers. The manufacturers of that equipment or that ammunition, they pay the excise tax. Now, they're passing that charge back yeah. on to the end user by, through the pricing. Um, so then the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service manages this. So you've got this big trust fund pot. At the end of the year... Every state gets a little slice of that pie, and the way it's divvied out is based on land area, which is not changing, and the number of hunting licenses or the number of fishing licenses that you sell, and that's how it's determined what percentage of that money comes back to us. So then we'll get a big pot of federal funding. So for projects like what you were just talking about with with land acquisition, Mm -hmm. we can then turn around and we can pay 75% of that land cost using the federal Pittman-Robertson funds. And it requires a 25% non-federal match. So most of the time, the 25% non-federal match comes from the sale of hunting licenses or, or fishing licenses from our general fund. So essentially, I'm just going to pull some manufacturers here. Winchester mm-hmm. <clears throat> makes a shotgun, right? And then they sell that shotgun to Cabela's. Mm-hmm. And Cabela's sells that shotgun to a customer. Well, Winchester is paying a, an excise tax to the federal government right 
Um, and that that's never trans, you know, that the cost, of course, is transferred onto the customer. But right. the customer, when they <laughs> ring it up, they aren't seeing anything more know. than no, they would never know that. the six percent sales tax. Right. Um, and then that money goes to the federal government. They hold it in a trust fund type deal, like you're talking about, and then they divvy it up based on, like you said, land. Mm-hmm. Land, land mass, mm-hmm. and then also number of hunting and fishing licenses sold. And that goes for anything that is hunting or fishing or shooting related, right? Right, right. So, so you've got Pittman-Robertson Wildlife Restoration. That's the wildlife side. And then you've got Dingle Johnson Sportfish, which is the equivalent on the fishing side. So that's where you're, you know, you're fishing tackle and things like that. Same model, but that's dedicated solely to fishing projects. So every time somebody goes out and buys a box of um, seven shot Winchester Super X mm-hmm. dove loads. At some point, some money has been set aside to conservation. That is correct. For the manufacturing of that box. Yep, yep. And then, so when they get in the dove field and they're shooting one for 25 and they blow through a brick to get four birds, mm-hmm. yep. that much money. They're helping. Is, Absolutely. Yeah. So we're hoping that we have some bad shots out there. Mm-hmm. We do. That, uh, Trust yeah, me, we do. Really, yeah, because it really comes back to benefit us. So, yeah. you know, it, it is the. The user pays, user benefits model. And, and that's good. And it's been in place since 1937, mm-hmm. and it's it's been highly DJ successful and, ever uh, since. DJ and PR were around the same time, weren't uh, they? DJ came later. Okay, that's um, what I thought. I, I want to say maybe in the 50s on DJ. I'd have to go back and check. But, but PR, Pittman-Robertson, was, I think, 1937. And uh, it's just been wildly yep. successful ever Gosh. since. You know, I'm kicking myself now for the fact that we did not lead with this topic, because we should have. Um, we should have led with... I'm this fly in here, guys. I'm sorry. Yep. Is driving me insane. I feel like, remember, uh, I was a karate kid where he got him with the oh, chopsticks. I <laughs> can't do I can throw something at him. Though. <laughs> yeah, hang on long enough. I might chuck this water bottle. But um, I wish we would have started with how the department is, is funded and all that, because that's a great conversation. I don't yep. think that nearly enough people understand where it comes from. So many people think uh, we get taxed off. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know that's how many people told me, I pay my taxes. You should do it. It's like, yeah. well, it doesn't matter. We don't get any tax money. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, I like user funded. And that's, you know, it's all philosophy and that's your own what you think's right. But I personally am a big fan of user funded and conservation. Absolutely. Especially. One of the good things about it, too, is when you have your own independent sources of funding, you stay out of the weeds of some of the things that can transpire governmentally. Um, you, you can you can kind of have a little bit more autonomy to make decisions uh, without other things getting involved. And well, you can keep the wildlife management areas. If if a wildlife management area was paid for using this funding source that we're talking about, a self-funded source, you know, mm-hmm. conservation pays for these wildlife management areas, and it's much much easier to say, well, that's a wildlife management area. It should be for wildlife. It should be for hunting. It should be for fishing. Instead of getting into the weeds where you got other things going on mm-hmm. there, because guess what? Those other things didn't pay for this land. Exactly. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. So, and that's important if you're going to have a wildlife management area because. I mean, the, the whole WMA tiering level is a is a great thing, but what would change about it if we had other activities mm-hmm. going sure. on? Well, on let's sure. develop, uh, let's put in a high-end subdivision right on the edge of you know, this mm-hmm. prime deer hunting area. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going to happen. Sure. Or let's build a golf course. Yeah. So I, th- I, I just, in general, I love the way that um, conservation, it's not just Kentucky, it's North American conservation model, sure. where it's pretty much all states, right? Yes. Paying to the, do the same system. Absolutely. Every state's eligible that funding and uh, and something else cool to point out and i'm sure you have talked about this before is more on the non-game side of things uh, mm-hmm. you know 
there are a lot of folks that love conservation, that want to support conservation, but maybe they don't hunt, maybe they don't fish, maybe they're not comfortable buying a hunting license. Well, we have a mechanism for you, you know, the, through our Kentucky Wild Program. Mm-hmm. So you can still support conservation. You can support non-game and the non-hunted species through our Kentucky Wild Program. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. you know, we'd always tell people before Kentucky Wild became a thing, because that's fairly new. Kentucky mm-hmm. Wild's five years old. Sure. It's come on board since I have. Um, we'd always tell them, well, you know, if you really want to support conservation, you can buy a fishing license, even yeah. though you don't fish. And right. there's kind of like a... There's, there's a lot of people do that. They can also make a donation on the website. When you check mm-hmm. out, there is a donate box mm-hmm. <laughs> at the bottom there. But yeah, you're right. Because the wildlife, your division, obviously oversees the the pretty things that everybody thinks about, the deer, the turkey, the, the quail, um, every game species we've got. But then Kentucky's home to almost 1,000 species of wildlife, sure. right? So you also have to worry about the peregrine falcon, yep. and you worry about the bald eagles and the barn owls, yep. and eventually I'm going to come up with one that isn't a bird. Um, the <laughs> a lot of the mussels, a lot of the I was going to say know, mussels, about their yeah. snakes and salamanders, and just you name it. Those are yeah. some of the cooler species too. Yeah. those are the ones that my fiance now, Kristen, actually really. Yeah, she those are the ones she enjoys. Yeah, she's absolutely. probably out there looking for them right now. Yeah, but yep. you know we actually have uh, mussels are. So I didn't know much about them until I started this job, about their reproductive cycle and everything. They're one of the most fascinating they're, oh, they're animals. Fascinating. Oh, the fascinating. most fascinating animals that we have in the state are the ones that aren't hunted, fished, or trapped. Absolutely. It's the <clears throat> the mussels are, are fascinating. I think, I mean, they have these mechanisms, a lot of the non-game species do, that are just so unique. It's like, yep. how in the world did you evolve to, to, oh, to make, if, if you see mussels displaying, you Google, mussels displaying, yep. they're, you know. And it'll look just like a little shiner species. Oh, they're cool. They're flesh. Yeah. And it's like, how in the world do you evolve? And then Mr. Smallmouth, woohoo, boom, yep. bites on it, and yep. then gets sprayed with glochidian, yep. and yep. what they call it. And, and then, uh, then here you are. Well, how does an, begun. How did an alligator snapping turtle get a worm for a tongue? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, how did, how did that happen? Evolution is cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. But we, have, we actually have our Kentucky Wild Q&A show coming up soon. Yeah. Which is a, a good yeah, way for great. me to plug that. July 31st at 8 p.m., we're going to be live on Facebook, YouTube, and the department's website with um, Kate Slankard, Monty McGregor, and Michaela Rogers, great. three of our wildlife great. biologists yep. here. Monty is not only like known in the country as a malacologist, he has an international reputation mm-hmm. in muscle propagation. Uh, he's he's a yeah. we're lucky to have Monty. He's uh, Monty, a sharp guy. Monty's amazing. I don't want to discredit discredit Kate or Michaela no. at all, but Kate is primarily an avian biologist. I've been out in the field with her before with uh, peregrine falcons. We've been out with bald eagles with her, um, songbirds. We actually just caught some songbirds down here. I never had seen a catbird before. I didn't know what a catbird was. We caught yeah, one cool. here yeah. at headquarters. Yeah. So the Kate is uh, an expert on all things that fly and have feathers pretty much and then Michaela she is really a specialist with um, bats I've been out on Virginia big-eared bat shoot with her and brown bats basically flying mammals and then also butterflies Michaela's big on the the monarch butterflies and their migration she tags them I I think she's made the trip down to Mexico to to see that before which would be really cool and then Monty like you said he's an expert on mussels and mollusks but really Monty can talk the gambit he can talk about whatever you want to talk about Mm -hmm. so i think we've got a really good panel for that and uh i'm looking forward to like i said july 31st 8 p.m we'll be live 8 eastern time and we're going to be taking people's questions and having the biologist answer them live so people should tune into that or if they have a question about a bird they've been seeing in their backyard or some snake they saw at the park when they were on a walk like just shoot the question we'd love to have them you know 
And honestly, this show, out of all of our, we do four year. We do the non-game one, the Kentucky Wild. We do fall hunting, spring fishing, and spring turkey. And the, this one coming up about non-game species gets the most mm-hmm. interaction with the public every year. Yep. People just want to know about those things. And yep. part of it's probably because they're cool. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, they're Very just cool. unique. People kind of understand deer. They see them every day, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people understand turkeys, but these animals are the ones you got to go diving in a creek with a, a snorkel and a flashlight and looking under boulders to find. So, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more mysterious. Yeah, well, that's coming up, and Ben, uh, we also have the fall hunting live show coming up on where it's on my board. We said September eighteenth for that one, I believe. Yeah, I can't remember um, what we decided on. Yeah, September the eighteenth. Yeah. It's a Monday, also. I wonder who our panel is going to be. I know John Hast is coming. Yeah, I'm, we need to talk that through. Yeah, we still need to figure out the and other we need one. To find somebody else, absolutely. But yeah, maybe you. We, we'll we've see. got a lot of good <laughs> options. So yeah, yeah. no, it, <laughs> we'll it's see. good. But I'm looking forward to that. So the, you you had mentioned all the non-game species, and you're right. The department does so much with with those species as yeah. well. But everybody kind of thinks, you know, it's the deer on our on our logo, you know, and yep. and those things that kind of drive drive the bus. But what what else should we know about coming up? New land acquisitions. We talked yep. a little bit about how we pay for new land, seventy five percent through mm-hmm. federal grants. Yep. It sounds like twenty five percent out of pocket, which comes from hunting and fishing license sales directly through the department yep. here. So have we been acquiring some new land? You know, our goal is is to constantly be on the search and on the hunt for some new land <clears throat> and. Uh, Kind of the way I've I've tasked our field staff with finding new land is is pretty simple, really. Um, the way we prioritize one, we're looking for large tracks. You know, if it's going to be a standalone WMA, it's going to need to be probably you know at least 500 acres, if yeah. not bigger, to be worthwhile to be smaller. to be standalone. We do, and uh, and we're not opposed to that. But that's that's kind of how we prioritize. Um, we're more interested in smaller tracks if they're going to adjoin an existing WMA to expand mm-hmm. that acreage or maybe, you know, clean up a boundary issue or provide a new access point. Um, and we're, we're equal opportunity all across the state, but we're always really trying to target what we call the Golden Triangle, that northern Kentucky to Louisville to Lexington area where all of our people live, and that's where we have probably the least amount of, of public land mm-hmm. uh, to to provide opportunities there is opportunity within that triangle there is but you and especially if you just go a little bit outside of it like if you included madison county in it or but um or breckenridge county like we were at the other day yeah and it's it's hard to to purchase uh you know meaningful acreage in that part of the world i mean you just don't find it you know it's all been broken up so much it's already tracked off and when you do, it's very expensive. Yeah. So it's not always our best value, but you can get it pretty I, close by. That's all you were talking about, the 500 acres. And that's a great way. Most WMAs, when you click on them, it's going to say it's 700 acres, 1,100 acres. <laughs> this one's 1,200 acres. I randomly was clicking around on WMAs on the website this morning. I clicked on one. It said 60 acres. Now, I can't remember. What, I was like, 60 acres. Well, that must be a grandfathered in one. We must have done something. Yeah, there. I'm not There's sure. back in the day. We're like, well, we'll take it. You know. Yeah, well, I completely understand buying a small chunk if it, like Ben says, gains you access. Like, let's say we got a WMA and all the access is on the north side, mm-hmm. right? And we've got a mile and a half of land down to the south side. Sure. Well, if we had the opportunity to buy some land on the south side that would allow access to yeah. that, yeah. I mean, it opens up half the WMA. Yeah, absolutely. To, so that makes sense. But uh, there have been some new ones here recently. Well, one that Ben and I went to last week, uh, the Belvedere track of Yellow Bank. Uh, oh. Yellow Bank is not too far from Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Meade County, Breckenridge yeah, County. Yeah, this is Breckenridge County, mm-hmm. isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that's correct. The top part is Meade. This was yep. in Breckenridge. It's mm-hmm. just west of Brandenburg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just west of Brandenburg. Off uh, this, off 259, isn't it? Isn't that the road? You tell I me, think, Lee. I think, it's I think that's right. I, I drove us there, um, but I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, I was looking I at the map. I, <laughs> I was listening but, to that GPS. But it fills in. If you look at a picture of Yellow Bank, that 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 uh, southern part, it there's a chunk. Looks like someone took a bite out of it coming from the Ohio River, and now that chunk is going to be filled in. Mm-hmm. So but it joins. It it all it joins, and you. I mean, the views were phenomenal. The property had yep. deer sign galore. Yeah, wonderful property. There's a there's tremendous potential. It's not open to the public yet. It's going to be rudimentary, very primitively open to the public. Hopefully by uh, fall hunting mm-hmm. seasons, but it's going to be a while before we get the infrastructure and everything in there. Right. Right. And there could be some some uh, lake development and some wetland development, mm-hmm. um, but just the hay and the deer sign and the turkey habitat and the views just phenomenal and the view of the Ohio River. Yep. So, Yellow Bank is a cool. The, the existing Yellow Bank WMA was really cool. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine what a new but park. This puts okay. it over seven thousand acres now. Seven thousand and change. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's ten square miles. And uh, this was a working miles. cattle farm as of just a few months ago. Correct. Yep. I mean. Yep. Hay and cattle. If somebody hay and cattle, yeah. If somebody was really smart, and I'm sure there's a way to do this, they'd get on our website and they'd there's a way to opt in to certain news updates through our website, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. They'd opt in to new WMAs because I'm telling you, I think it's a cool proposition to brand new chunk of property, a thousand acres being open somewhere to to be in the know on that early. Because yeah, man, that first year you get out there, have that place to yourself. Sure. You know what I mean? And somebody's listening to the podcast right now, and they live around Breckenridge County mm-hmm. or Meade County or, heck, Louisville. Mm-hmm. You might want to, like— Brandenburg, E-Town, any of that. You could, you wouldn't be far from there. No, you might want to look into this because chances are you're, nobody's caught on to it yet. Nobody's yeah. been out there and hunted yet. Nobody's got their secret spot. And, like and yep. There's two more I could talk about I wrote a press release about. Well, let's that, hear what they this are. This is the first year they will be open to the public. One is Gabber Branch uh, WMA in Butler County. It's along the Green River. Uh, it was formerly managed as a deer hunting property by the previous owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got really good deer habitat, excellent turkey. But one of the cool things is at the bottom where Little Reedy Branch and Gabbert Branch meet are some natural wetlands. I mean, there's some, you know, where, where the channels through time have abandoned and come back. And they're going to do a lot of upgrading and habitat work for that. But that is going to hold some waterfowl because the Green River is like right there. Mm-hmm. So um, also Ferguson, WMA, in Livingston County. It's uh, along the Cumberland River, not far from the Ohio Bluffs. Um, just tremendous beauty. Um, Mike Harden told me some of the pictures. It's mm-hmm. just stunning. And that will be waterfowl hunting heaven down there. I mean, yeah. down in Western Kentucky. You're, you're right in the, I mean, you're Ohio River here, mouth of Cumberland River here, property right here. I mean, yeah, yeah those it's are two amazing. Nice, nice properties. And, I don't know if you all have touched on our, our FILO fees in lieu of mitigation yeah. program. That, and, and a, it's been a while. That's another really good topic because that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with Pittman-Robinson and, and how we're funded. Yeah. FILO, this, uh, like the perfect example exists right now. It's the Ford battery plant that's being built off 65 yeah. in between Louisville and E-Town because everybody can drive by that and see it. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Massive. Yeah. And there's FILO that was involved with that, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. walk me through. Say say we that, you know, from conception to, to final – now, I am probably the wrong guy to lead the conversation on Philo. You know, that really falls within our fisheries Well, branch. you brought it up. And, and you I, brought well, it up. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you where I was going with that, not to get into the nuts and bolts of Philo per se. Um, yeah. but, but basically it is. It's a mitigation yeah. program. So, for instance, the battery plant example, 
when they purchase this land, the company, and, and say there's some existing wetlands on that property. Well, for them to be able to destroy those wetlands federally, they, they've got to mitigate. They have to mitigate. So we run a program where they can pay into our mitigation bank and basically purchase the credits needed to destroy that wetland. And then we take those funds and we, you know, we redistribute whether that's purchasing land, uh, doing new projects, creating new wetlands. Drainage of the exactly, and that's that's it at a very high level. Now, if you wanted somebody from the FELO program, they could get into a whole lot more specifics. But that's where I was going with this. um, To we often benefit in the wildlife division and then our end user, you know, our, our hunters and anglers, because a lot of the properties that FELO ends up purchasing like gabbards Mm -hmm. and ferguson creek that you just mentioned they end up becoming wmas and on top of that we can a lot of times use the value of that property as our 25 percent match on our Pittman robertson grants which is what we did at yellow bank Mm -hmm. so it didn't end up costing the agency anything we use federal funds we use the existing value of some philo property Mm -hmm. and we went out and purchased almost 800 acres and and on these properties they we do stream uh, restoration work, we, you know, to, to help further the the mitigation process. Like yep. Veterans WMA, we've done quite a bit. Yeah. So it's a great program. Yeah, it well, is. you know, um, development is unfortunate, but it's also, you know, that's a lot of jobs that, that plants sure. can own, you know, a lot sure. of these places. So, it, you know, with how we work now as society, it's kind of a necessary evil, you know, the development. But basically this mitigation program takes the funds and does something good with them absolutely so we're like okay this is unfortunate this is bad happening but we can do good with it and that's how we do it and there's some stuff that goes on like that on coal mines too where a coal company when they buy a piece of property will have to put a certain amount of amount of money up Mm -hmm. it's not like in bond what it's basically set aside. Mm-hmm. There's a word. I can't. I just can't find it right the now. Bond, oftentimes the, the yeah. reclamation yeah. bond. Then what? Mm-hmm. They yeah, and then they don't get that money back until the water quality meets a certain level, um, and the the land is. That's why they do a lot of the, um, you know, tear steel sides, and they plant the mm-hmm. the crops and make it all look good, and they're trying to get that water quality back to a certain level so they can get their money out of bond. So money is used, you know. To make conservation happen at times, too, on that end of it, from the development, from the industrial side, you know, they're having to pay into to what they're doing, and and we're making something good happen from it down the, the road. Ferguson and Gabber Branch are on the website, too. and this, mm-hmm. um, If you're a bow hunter or something like that, I, I don't think a lot of people even know we have these no, properties could, yet. Yeah, it'd be a great so opportunity for folks to, both to jump these. in there early, if you wanna, early if you September, be October. Like, yeah. Yep. No, if you yep. want to be early. That's what I'm saying. Right now, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they live around one of those areas, Absolutely. they should be taking notes and going to the website. Yep. Even if you've got private land to hunt. Absolutely. You don't know what's out there. Yep. You know, this is 800 acres along the Ohio River. That is fascinating. Yeah. So it's, they're both fascinating properties. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's tremendous. I'm trying to think what else we should cover, guys. New land, quota hunts, deer and CWD. I mean, we've touched on a lot of what yeah, I, yeah. I could sit here and I would like to. I would like to talk about deer hunting and stuff forever because that's what <laughs> I'm like when I don't have this headset on and sure. I'm not at work. That's what I'm thinking about and doing right yeah. now. But I've got my my trail cameras out running. Yep, so do I. Do you ever run cell cameras? I don't. I haven't gotten into the cell cameras. Uh, they'll still, spoil you. I know they'll spoil me, and uh, so I, I still do the old old school cameras right now Man, i'm telling you this is i'm going to tell you like i'm not old like i don't consider myself old right but i'm starting to see things you know what i mean like, i'm starting <laughs> to start, uh, starting to realize. 20 years brother <laughs> well you know you won't see anything <laughs> yeah. won't hear well, nothing either 
people talk about their their trail cameras like i'll be talking to somebody who's a little younger than me right let's just say 20 or something 25 and they'll be talking about their trail cameras and i find myself sitting there thinking about how i used to go to kroger and drop off my film oh yeah sit on the bench at kroger while they develop my 12 trail cam photos (laughs) you know i remember doing those things uh, yeah i remember when there was no trail cameras Right. You had to go look for signs and yeah. stuff. No, man. I, but the, my first memories of trail cameras are literally putting the film in there, mm-hmm. putting my D-cell batteries in there, and going back out in a week and taking my film and my little roll to Kroger when my mom went for groceries, and I'd <laughs> yeah. sit on the bench by the photo <laughs> People just won't know the struggle nope. anymore. That's right. Well, I mean, that forward-facing sonar and fishing, my God. Yeah. I remember first units I went fishing with were those old flashers that spun and you know, you could tell when it was soft bottom, a hard bottom when you're going over a break. But now, mm. my God, those, that's that forward-facing yeah. sonar. Technology's always it, improving, no, no. isn't it? Active target, forward-facing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're starting to get some questions, moral questions raised. And some they're talking about some limiting some uses of some of these things. The, the active target. Have you seen that? So if we go out and we film a show with somebody who has a live scope or a forward-facing sonar, it's cool because you can see that fish eat, right? But it's only pointing that beam one way. And if that fish swims out, you're searching for it. Where's that, where'd that fish go? And it's hard on camera, right? But these, these active targets, you can lock onto a fish and it'll just follow it. So you'll, you can sit there on the nose of your boat and you can watch your, your thing turning. <laughs> it's like a video game. I yeah. Follow, and so this little arrow is telling you exactly where the fish is. You can look at the graph. Oh, he's 30 feet out. Oh, and he's that way. Cast right to him. Watch your lure. And I mean, you can literally lock onto a fish with it and watch your motor spin and chase him around. It, I mean, it is kind of ridiculous. I wonder about yeah. the ethics and the morals and I don't know. I mean, I guess from our standpoint, we, you know, we're talking to a wildlife guy right now. It's probably, we probably shouldn't speak on it, but are these people like using it to harvest more fish? Is it something we're going to have to look at reg? Like as far well, one of the things that David Casey used to always say, and I was like, man, why don't we just allow baiting on doves and just enforce the, enforce the reg, enforce the limit. Just let's just, you know, why it's, you know, he said, Lee, have you ever heard of greed? You know, when you present, when you present, a place or a forum where people can hammer them and hammer them. Even good people, I'll take a few more. They're here. Hey, he'll never know if I shoot 18. He'll know if I shoot 20, and I'll get five. He says when you create that kind of environment, you create an environment <clears throat> that where people's base instincts, even good people, can take over. Mm-hmm. He said it's great. So that's why we're paying. He goes, I'm dead set against that. There's a lot of debate whether or not you should even enforce, you know, just mm-hmm. let them have it and enforce the limits. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I think I agree with Casey. You know. Well, I just don't. I'm I'm all for, you know, into each their own. If it's legal, I support you doing it. I'm not going to knock somebody for doing it. But I personally prefer to hunt things as they occur. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Even though in the part of the state I deer hunt, I could put out corn. I I don't. I'm not knocking you if you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, to each their own. But I personally get more enjoyment out of hunting the trails. Yeah. Just, same one. You know and when you're baiting things it just the interaction's different and i'm not saying that you shouldn't do it and especially if people are looking to take a few does off the property or mm-hmm. but i mean just leaving things natural tends to be See, the best I, way to my concern with forward-facing sonar is what casey was saying you know greed um mm-hmm. you know if if I, if if temptation's there 
the human uh, heart can be weak. Yeah. My, you know? my view, like it's kind of like eyebrows, just the more natural, the better. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen some. Never mind. <laughs> I don't understand the eyebrows. I'm, I'm, we're going to end it after this. But I, most, like when I say eyebrow, what is that? Like, I mean, I think of the brow of the eye, but I see eyebrows on people these days that go halfway up their foreheads. And I'm just, I don't know, first, I'm way off topic, but for some reason when I was thinking about how I prefer things to be natural, eyebrows are the first thing. <laughs> I see more bad eyebrows. Do you not? Like, I have to. I see those painted ones sometimes. I You're see, like, ooh. I see a lot of crazy things I, these days. Most of the eyebrows I see these days have are just completely bare, bald. The brow of the eye has no hair on it, and then there's some penciled thing up yeah, here. Yeah, Going up the forehead. Oh, right, I'm, that's off topic. So <clears throat> I'm going to do this quick run through real quick. WMA tiering system. We want to go away from tiering. I keep accidentally using that word. I do too. High, medium, low. That's not talking about the amount of animals you're going to see or anything like that. That's simply talking about the amount of management intensity going on on that property. So are they driving tractors around out there and doing things every day? Or does it see a piece of equipment once a year? You know, type deal. You can pick and choose your WMA based on what you want. Um, we have some new land, some mm -hmm. new WMAs, and Ben was nice enough to run through how those are purchased mm -hmm. for us. Um, we got the Kentucky Wild Q&A show coming up on July 31st at 8 o'clock. If you have questions about animals that aren't hunted for, fished, or trapped, you can ask those there. What else? Fall hunting's right around the corner. We hit on the deer hunting in the CWD zone, which is that five counties in mm -hmm. far west Kentucky. A couple of different restrictions there you need to pay attention if you're hunting in or around those counties and then also transporting deer into the state that's that's my biggest worry is you know we can't do a whole lot about what deer naturally walking across the border from tennessee or swimming across the ohio river like we can't necessarily stop that but us as people cannot bring deer in from michigan or, or wherever they're being harvested so there's that and then um yeah um quota hunt signups are coming up in september Yep. Sandhill Crane, if you want to get your, your waterfowl blinds or your deer hunts on Clay WMA or wherever it is, you know, that's your time to do it, right? Yes. And we talked about public lands and where you can find information on those at. Yep. So and we've got some exciting new properties. That's great. Yep. Is there anything I missed, Lee? Not according to my notes. I think we're good. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming down. Ben, thank you. I appreciate the time. I know we kind of rambled and went a little bit here, a little that's, bit there. That's what we do. Well, I, I enjoyed it. Thanks I wish I me. could go back in hindsight and start with how we're funded because that, that really is the conversation. That could be another one. Like be another we talked one about land to... acquisition. We could do one on strictly how this happens. Yeah. <clears throat> do you have any secrets, any hunting secrets? They're secret. I can't share them. Well, <laughs> I want to pick people's. I was just sitting here thinking about Philo and Mike Harden and Muskie, and for some reason my mind went up secrets and – I don't know. We'll get well, him on here to talk about For dove hunting, I think, you know, the beginning of the season is okay, but those cheap shells are cheap for a reason. If you can afford it, upgrade to a good target load, better shot, harder shot, better cup, you'll have a better pattern. It's it's worth the extra dollar fifty, two dollars a box to get a good, than, than the hunter pack of cheapy general purpose shells. I can already tell you how my dove season is going to go. I'm on August the 31st, I'm going to go downstairs to the gun case and I'm going to look at what I have left and I'm going to say, well, I, <laughs> guess, shoot up all I, I guess I've got 22 shots tomorrow. <laughs> and that's how it always goes. And then I'll run to Walmart afterwards, you yeah. know. But anyway, I appreciate you guys coming down. Thank no you, problem. Ben. Thank you, Lee. No Thanks problem, so man. Enjoyed it.